You might ask why I would play that. I want to ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the end of Philippians 1, the first of Philippians 2. I want to challenge us as a church, as a people, to not fall into that place where we, we are compromising our faith. We as Christians, you know, I asked my class a couple weeks ago, I had 500 students. I asked them, I said, tell me the last time someone outside of a church service in a corporate setting tried to share their faith with you. Not one student. I lived in my same neighborhood I just moved from for eight years. The only people that ever came by were the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. In the last 15 years, 20 years, guys, I've, had, I've been approached twice by people asking me about my faith. One was a friend of mine who always does that. He just always asked me, Wheeler, are you saved? So I'm going to count that. But the other one was when I was working out in Nashville, Tennessee, at a YMCA, and I was doing buddy curls with a guy. And right in the middle of that, this guy looks at me, and he says, hey, what kind of spiritual beliefs do you have? And I said, well, I actually teach evangelism at Liberty University. I'm a born-again believer. He says, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, no, no, no. We got done. We sat down with each other. I said, thank you. Look at me. Thank you for you were the only person, the only other person in the last 15, 20 years who's loved me enough to tell me the greatest message of all. Because what does it take? What does it take for us to wake up? I want to ask us, a life, worth, a life worthy of the gospel, what is it? Let's look at verse 21 of Philippians 1. It says, for me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I live in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. I do not know which one I should choose. He's perplexed, Paul is. I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you and for the gospel. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Verse 27. Just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see or I'm absent, I will hear about you and what you are standing that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a, a sign of destruction for them, but of your deliverance. And this is from God, for it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal, doing nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility considering others as more important than yourselves, everyone should look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. 
Verse 27 simply says this. It says, just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let's talk about that. I had my class one time a few years ago, an honors class. One of their assignments was simply to write out a paragraph of what it would look like if you lived your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does that mean, to live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ? I mean, come on. Paul's writing this from a jail. His definition of living a life worthy of the gospel, he just says it right up there at the top. He says, to live as Christ and to what? To what? To die as... So to Paul, he is saying to us, to live a life worthy of the gospel begins when we understand that statement. That we cannot live until we are ready to die. Until we understand what it means to give our lives up. Yes, we have sold a type of Christianity in our culture that compromises the gospel and literally spits in the face of Jesus. We shop for churches the way we shop for shoes. We get angry when we are challenged and we go to other churches when there's a better show. I sat with a, one of my students this last week, sat on my, my couch in my office and we began, he began to talk about his history of how he'd gone from church to church to church, that they were looking for this and that from that church. And I finally asked him, I said, let me ask you a question. Should you look for what that church can give you or you should you look what you could give to that church and to Christ and his calling through that body? Which one should it be? Did you ever ask the question, God, what can I give back to you? What does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Not worthy of me, not worthy of Fred, not worthy of anybody else. Not worthy of our perceived concept of what we think Christianity is in Western culture. I can tell you this. There are people every day in China that are killed because they're found with a Bible. To them, living a life worthy of the gospel, they know every day when they wake up that there is a chance that they may be killed. All over the Middle East, we've seen it happen. Last year on Easter, ISIS cut the heads off of people. And, and what do they do? It In direct denial of the person of Jesus Christ, basically spitting in the face of our faith. I find it odd, don't you? That our youth groups fight over whether or not they should go to one, you know, to one camp, or not, not camp, because I love camp, but one, one uh, uh, you know, like a, what do you call it, amusement parks. Think about that. By the way, I told him I would sponsor two of those students to go to camp. And I want to challenge us to do the same and have that all settled so they can get that price. But I find it odd that, that you know, we argue. When I was in Ohio, I, uh, we had, I had a pastor tell me one time, a youth pastor said that one of his Family, his mothers of one of his kids came to him and said, Pat told the youth minister he was going to take them to, a, 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 uh, to Columbus, Ohio and work that summer and, and spend a week doing missions in inner city Columbus rather than going anyplace else. And the mother asked him, she said, well, you're going to send our, our kids you know, up to northern, northern Ohio, it's huge for amusement parks, and you're going to send them up there to, you know, aren't you for, he said, no. She said, then I'll have to take my kids someplace else because that's what they want to do. Don't you find it odd 
We're worried about, you know, where our kids go on an amusement park. When you got 16-year-old kids all over the Middle East who moms and dads are waking up and for the sake of Allah, sacrificing their children on the altar of a lie. I have a friend of mine in Texas. He was one of the pastors of my daughter's wedding. He told me one time years ago, he said, he just got back from, from youth camp, and he said, the last night of youth camp, they took shaving cream and sprayed each other down, everything like that. He said he got a phone call first from one parent mad because her child had been sprayed down with shaving cream and, and it colored one of the shirts and, and she was upset that she got sprayed down with shaving cream. He said, as soon as I hung up the phone, I got a phone call from another mother, angry because her child didn't get sprayed with shaving cream and felt like they were being left out. Guys, what does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? What does it mean to step out of our comfort zones and stop worrying about what makes us, you know, happy and start worrying about what makes us holy? What does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Come on, Jesus is that gospel, is he not? He is the one who defines that gospel, am I not right? He is the one who who gives us that gospel, right? So what we're asking is, what does it mean to live a life worthy of Christ himself? What life did he live? What are the qualities that he gave us? What did he do? Come on, what are some adjectives you use? Sacrifice? Surrender? He willingly gave himself up. Did he not? What does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. I want to challenge us to really think about that. And look at it says in Philippians chapter 1. I love what he says. He, he gives us some, some kind of outlines of what he wants. He gives us four basic assumptions. He says, okay, based upon living this life worthy of the gospel. Based upon what I am calling you to be. Don't be frightened, he says above this, by your opponents. That's a sign of destruction for them. Don't worry, for I will be with you. And then he gives us this. He says, if, he gives us four if statements. If then there is any encouragement in Christ. The word encouragement means the action of giving someone support, confidence, or hope. Inspiration, motivation, stimulation, fortification. He is saying to us, I want you to live a life worthy of the gospel, but listen to me, church. I'm going to tell you this before I give you the rest. He, these are assumptions ahead of time. Let me ask you the question, is there encouragement in Christ, yes or no? Are we simply encouraged in Christ because of the fact that we have a hope for salvation both now and in the future? Is that fully the encouragement? Is the encouragement because of the fact that we are not alone and God fills our lives up? Is that simply it? Or is the encouragement there because God empowers us to be on mission with him? Our lives are not lived out without an understanding of fulfillment because we are to be on mission with him. That's what we're called to be. Do you know the saddest thing I've ever, 
I've ever heard is the fact that, and the statistics are pretty normal with this, that about 8 out of 10 Christians will die having never once shared the gospel with someone else and seen them come to Christ. Never once. Not once. You know, it's interesting to me. I had a student write me this morning, and he said, and taking our online class, his, trans, his idea was changed about what he should do. He had seen his ministry as simply just taking care and keeping Christians happy. He said, I saw through the class that what my job is to do is to raise up the, to the church and to prepare them to do the work of ministry and to challenge them to go forward with the gospel of Christ. He said, Dr. Wheeler, I've been doing that and you cannot imagine the battles I've had with my own people just over the last couple months. He said, I'm writing you this morning to let you know I will not give up. I will not stop. They may fire me before I get done here, but I promise you whatever happens the rest of my days, I will spend it living a life worthy of the gospel. If there is any encouragement in Christ. How about number two? If there's any consolation of love, that is comfort received by a person after a loss or disappointment, it fills a void in our life. If there's any consolation of love, if we are literally comforted by that. Number three, it says, if any fellowship of the Spirit. Literally, that means friendly association, especially with people who share one's interest. A group of people, organization with the same purpose. And we're going to talk about that here in a moment. If any fellowship with the Spirit, and then he tells us, if any affection and mercy. Affection means a gentle feeling of fondness, of liking, of love, of tenderness, of warmth, of devotion, endearment, care, caring, attachment, friendship, and warm feelings. Do we believe those things exist? Do we believe that Christianity, that there's an encouragement of Christ, yes or no? Do we believe that, yes or no? Is there any consolation in the love of Christ in our lives that in our deepest, darkest moments we know God still fills that void, yes or no? Is there any fellowship with the Spirit of God and a oneness together with Him and through our brothers in Christ, yes or no? Is there any affection and mercy in, our, in Christ that when we are down or we need the mercy of God, we receive the mercy of God? And what does he say? He gives us four things. First of all, he gives us a command. He's, the command is this, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way. Fulfill my joy by thinking the same way. Now there's an interesting thing here. He's giving us, he's saying, if there's all these things are true, and if you want to live a life worth of the gospel, he says then, fulfill my joy by thinking literally the same way. That, that idea there of, of thinking literally means values. He's, and what he's saying is, let me rephrase it for you. He's saying, if all of this is true, then church, you need to all share the same value in common. He is not saying, look at me, that all of us will agree on every single thing. But we are so overridden by the value of Christ in us that we all share the same value. Come on, how many of us have been Baptists most of our life? He must know that Baptist as a whole, we, we value what it means to have individual thinking. You know what I'm talking about? And so I've been Baptist almost all my whole life. I'm, you know, one of, the, one of the greatest 
pictures of the disciples and reason why the gospel, the resurrection is true is because the, the disciples couldn't agree on anywhere on anything, but they agreed on one thing, and that is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. They couldn't agree on all. He's not saying that we all agree on, have all the same opinions, but he is saying that we all have the same value. Let me ask you a question. This past week, I found out that a, a friend of mine came to my office, and he was telling me, about a situation in church that he's a, he's a part of. He's the pastor there. He has one person in the church who's upset because she has a different set of values than he does. He got out in front of the church, and so what he did was he, he took one Sunday and he removed everything off the pulpit because he had an example that he wanted to do, and they wanted to play it out, and he prepared all this. And so the lady got upset because it wasn't the same way it had always been because they removed it from the, the pulpit. That, uh, next week after that, he wore denim pants in the pulpit. Now, you know he's going to hell there, right? I've never heard it. I'm not, it's been so long since I've heard anybody call blue jeans denim anyway. You know what I'm talking about? It just, it's just, but she got really upset because he wore denim pants in the pulpit. So what she's done is she's going around and she's got all kinds of family in the church and she's spreading all these kind of things and, and it's, just, it's just causing all this division and all of this. And what you really have there are two different value sets competing against each other. One value set says I will do anything for the sake of the gospel because I want people to know Jesus Christ no matter what. Blue jeans don't matter. What we have in the pulpit don't matter. You know, the color of the carpet don't matter. You know, the padding of the seats don't matter. What matters is the gospel of Christ. Now, on the other side, there's this value that says, I want it the way it's always been. You know, if you don't wear a tie, then you can't stand the pulpit. You know what, I, guys, this is a true story. I was literally in da- outside of Dayton, Ohio, preached a message about 12 years ago. And when I got to the end of it, I looked at the church and I said to them, I said, some of you are more upset that I'm not wearing a tie today than you are that your neighbor across the street's going to hell. A lady walked up to me after church and she, she said, I'm not, I'm not making this up. She looked at me and she started crying. She said, you're right. I said, what do you mean I'm right? She said, when you said that, it's true. I, I thought there the whole service thinking that boy needs a tie on. And she said, and now I got to think I've never once shared the gospel with my neighbors. See, you have competing values. We, one of us value church. Well, what we need to be valuing is being the church, driven by the gospel. Driven by the gospel. I have students, all, people all the time ask me, what do you think about all those kids of yours having tattoos and stuff like that? I'm going, I don't care. It don't bother you? No. No. It don't bother me at all. Well, I mean, and again, because that's a preference issue. Now, I'm not going to get one because it hurts. I don't want them sticking needles in me when I have to have a needle in me. I don't want them sticking needles by my own children. I don't want that. I still don't want it. But it's not because I think someone's just evil and all of that, that kind of stuff. See, we, 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 we always, we make, we make the, we look at these things and we make all this the wrong thing because we have competing sets of values. You remember when I, gave, I told you all about that lady in North Carolina that walked up to her pastor two years into his church and the church had gone from 200 down to 50? By the way, that church runs over 1,000 now, reaching all kinds of young families in North Carolina, in Charlotte, North Carolina. 
Because what he did was he changed things around so they could reach the people in their neighborhood. They were all young families. And this lady walks up to him and she, walks, she leaves church and she says, Pastor, you know what your problem is? He said, what's that? She said, your problem is you think the church should be a movement of God to change the world. And we think the church should be a community organization for Christians. Community organization for Christians. Movement of God to change the world. Those are competing values. What he is saying to us is, I want you to think in the same way. I want you to have the same value. I want you to walk in that way is what he's telling us. That's the command. Fulfill my joy by thinking in the same way. Number two, the conviction. Have the same love. Have the same love for each other. He's, the, 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 the idea of the love he gives us is this, this undying kind of love. John 13, I, I spoke to a group of our, our, our leaders, student leaders yesterday about John 13. I love what it says. If you'll read it sometime when you get back, Jesus is about to give the last supper. and He's about to wash the disciples' feet. And what does he do? The Bible says, and he loved them. And he loved them to the end. Unending love. Come on, we know that the disciples weren't easy to love. I mean, come on, Peter was making an idiot of himself about every other day, wasn't he? Come on. But he says he loved them to the end. What does that mean? That means he overlooked their differences. He overlooked the, you know, the immaturity of, of Peter. He overlooked all these kinds of things. It wasn't about agreeing on carpet. It was about being, riding together for the gospel of Christ. Be, to, to, to love each other in such a way that we are driven by that. Come on. You love your kids, don't you? You love your, your family, don't you? Would you die for your kids? Of course you would. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to even think about it. You would jump in there, wouldn't you, Mark? Come on. If, you, if one of your kids are being threatened, you'd jump right in front of whatever it took to, to take it for them, wouldn't you? And that's what he's saying. We are family. We love each other. We're driven by the love of Christ. That's what he's saying to us. If there's any of this, if it is all true, and if it is the challenge to live a life worthy of the gospel, then the love of God should permeate our souls. We should be, be driven by the same values, driven by the same love. Next is the community, sharing the same feelings. Sharing the same feelings. That, by the very nature, says there's going to be some agreement. Now, I know some of you guys here, I need to explain to you what a feeling is, okay? It's that thing that happens when you get upset. It's this this googly thing that happens. You remember that? Remember that? <laughs> Sharing the same feelings. Feelings are not bad. They're actually pretty good. And what that means and says to me is that our calling to live a life worthy of the gospel, that that love should drive us to the very depth of our soul because what our feelings come from are deep in here. They're not just shallow things the depth of our soul, to feel the same way. To feel the same way. And finally, number four, the correction, focusing on one goal. Focusing on one goal. Look, look at that, focusing on one goal. 
We need to correct ourselves that we are, have the same values, the same purpose, that we're driven by the same thing. You know what's interesting, guys? If you're going to know how to communicate, now listen to me carefully. If you want to know how to communicate, you've got to be speaking the same language, right? Is that right? You do. You've got to be speaking the same language. Sometimes you can be speaking a common language but be saying different things, right? Like, for instance, if I say the word barbecue, what do you think about? How many of y'all think of pork? How many of y'all think of vinegar? How many of y'all think of beef? You know? Sausage. Any of y'all think of sausage? Who of y'all just getting hungry right now? You know what I'm talking about? So let me say this to you. You've got to be speaking the same language. See, we all have preferences, right? Both my girls were born in Texas. I am a, I am a mesquite, beef, barbecue kind of guy. I want it hot and sweet at the same time. I want it to be so sweet that it feels like candy, so hot that it burns my tongue, Okay. I want beef barbecue. I'm not a vinegar guy. So when I want you to understand what I'm saying about barbecue, I need to preface it by explaining to you that I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about that. That we're all in the same direction. We can all agree that we like barbecue, I hope, because if you don't, you won't go to heaven. I promise you. Because <laughs> there's going to be barbecue all over heaven. That's right. Krispy Kreme appeared here. I tell my students all the time, the Krispy Kreme, that's the only hot thing you'll see in heaven is the hot sign. That's all there is. So understand that. That's the, they'll be that on every corner, okay? That's it. You've got to be saying, speaking a common language. You've got to know what it is. Look at me. The gospel is the common language. For some of you, when I say sharing the gospel, you think about serving your neighbors over here. Some of you just, when I talk about sharing the gospel, you think that's the responsibility of the pastor or somebody else. Some of you think you're too old or too young or you don't know enough. You've heard thousands of sermons but you still don't know enough. I can't figure that one out. Some of us, when we say living life worthy of the gospel, you, you may be thinking being a good church member, all these kinds of things. But let me tell you something. It's not about that. It's about glorifying God and multiplying his kingdom. Period. That's what it's about. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. I love how he ends this. He's, he gives us this. He says, fulfill my joy by thinking this. He says, but in humility. By the way, he gives those. He says, do not be, don't be overtaken by rivalry or conceit. In other words, by, by your own opinions. But in humility, the greatest picture of humility of scriptures when Jesus became a slave and washed the disciples' feet. So he is saying for all of us to get over himself, starting with me. In humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. <gasps> doesn't, doesn't our culture te teach to thy own self be true? He is saying that if we're going to live a life worthy of the gospel, the ultimate end of this is that we Consider others more important than ourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. If you're going to live a life worthy of the gospel, it starts by losing yourself. It starts by asking the right questions. The right question is not what makes me happy, not what makes me comfortable. The right question is, 
How can the kingdom of God best be advanced through me? What part can I play in that? Guys, we sit here today on the backs of millions and millions and millions of martyrs who died for their faith. Go back and look at the early church. We sit here today in our nation, supposed Christian nation, the only continent in the world where Christianity is not growing. We sit here today and we're consumed by ourselves, myself included. Living a life worthy of the gospel begins when we step outside of ourselves. We start not looking this direction, but this direction and saying, okay, God, what does it mean to be on mission with you? What does it mean in my life to sacrifice my time, my energies for the sake of other people? What does it mean for me to get over my fears? What does it mean for me to face the reality of my sin and stop rationalizing it? What does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? Think about this for a moment. Think about this for a moment. Just ponder this. What if, what if your kids came to you and they said, you know what, Mom, Dad, you're going to buy me a new car. But I'm not going to do anything you ask me to do. I'm going to spend every penny I can. If you don't give it to me, I'm going to steal it from your house. I'm not going to do any of that. I want, you're going to buy me a new car whether you want to or not. Or I'm going to take you to court. I'm going to make you buy me a new car. I am. I'm going to ruin your reputation. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Don't ask me to clean up my room and make up my bed. I've never done that anyway. But, you know, I'm a, I, don't ask me to, to do anything around here. But you're going to buy me a new car. Do you understand that, Mom and Dad? You're going to buy me a new car. How many of you just start, your blood started boiling the moment I started saying that? You know what I'm talking about? Have you like, over my dead body will that happen, right? That would be a funeral. That's exactly right. Have you ever thought that that's exactly what we do to Jesus every time we stomp over his love, compassion, calling? We're saying, Jesus, you're going to give me eternal life, and you're going to take care of my needs here, but don't ask me to do anything in return, and I'm going to do whatever it takes, even if it besmirches your name out there, if it makes me happy, it don't, but you're going to do this. Is that living a life worthy of the gospel? Living a life worthy of the gospel is one that aligns one's person with the gospel and says this, I want to be, as he said, a Christian. I want my life to line up. Listen to me, nobody's asking you to be perfect. There was only one man who was perfect and he has already purchased our salvation through his perfection. But he is asking us to surrender unto him and not this world. Be, what's the Bible say? Transformed, not conformed. By the what? Renewing of our mind to become worthy of the gospel of Christ. I'm asking you, will you stand up and do that? Will you take those steps? Will you consider what it would look like in your home and family if you lived your life worthy of the gospel?
you pray with me?